Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 98, only two away from the big 100. Today I'm joined by a guest who isn't too well known on Twitter, but uh, he's a big personality on the Index Game Slack community and I've been uh, chatting to him for a little while now on there and he's a very astute and clever trader. Chris Askew, how are you doing mate? I'm good, thank you very much. How have you been on the index for the past, uh, however long you've been on? Tell us a bit more about your football index journey. Well, firstly, thanks very much for inviting me on. Um, pleasure to come on. I've been listening to the podcast for about a, a year now. So I joined August the 8th or something last year. So it's my 12 month anniversary. Mm. Congratulations. And yeah, thank you. And um, it's been a crazy 12 months, really. Um, I thought I joined um, and missed the boom period, but it's just continued to just keep growing and growing and growing. And um, yeah, well, I'm sure we'll talk a bit more about that in, uh, in a few of the questions. But it's um, I, st- I joined from Twitter advertisement because I know sometimes that's the question that gets asked. Um, and it was, I ignored the advertisement for a few months, I think. And then I just kept seeing it and seeing it and seeing it. I eventually just clicked on it <laughs> and um, sort of signed up to Football Index. I used the £500 risk-free and I don't bet, or have very rarely betted in my life. Um, I'm a one pound, two pound better if I do put some money on. So for me to put five hundred pound in was um, quite substantial. <laughs> Seen as an investment rather than a bet at the time, that's what drew me in using the marketing that they used at the time. And then um, loved the statistical side of football index. What I could see, I could see real value in the statistics and PB and the USP of the product. And I thought. Given my background is quite statistical, I use a lot of stats in my job and a lot of data. I could probably get an edge that way is what I thought. So that's that's what drew me in, really. It's quite interesting to hear someone that hasn't really been a regular better in the past. Has there been an enthusiasm for you know fancy football? And I'd, I'd love for you to dig into your kind of analytical background a little bit more as well. Yeah, yeah, we'll do. Yeah, I, um, I use a lot of um, numbers data for my job that I do. And I guess for me that I saw the initially it was PB. So my strategy's changed significantly, which we'll um, come on to. But I saw the, the PB data. I could see how I could research it, how I, I went straight onto the internet to find out how to get ahead of the game and find as many hints and tips as I could. Um, found the index gain and the, the edge um, databases and um, tried them both um, within about a week. I think I think <laughs> I was on Slack within about four days yeah i'm quite once i put my mind to something or get into something i'd go full throttle so i was trying to get as quickly an edge as possible i could see player prices rising every day when i joined because it's it's similar time to last year and um yeah i just wanted to get going really amazing and and what about that kind of non-betting background was there a you know fantasy enthusiast in there somewhere or Uh, i did have a, a fantasy football team but it, it, I did it casually. I didn't do it for any money. Um, mainly watched English football, uh, not a lot of European football. Was still enjoying football, but I must admit that I love football, but it was, you know, internationals became boring. I'm a Liverpool fan, so absolutely, um, you know, it's a much better seasons recently. But it was, um, yeah, I, I would say the betting is, I tried betting more for fun, always tend to lose. 
just never win. Didn't use stats for betting. It was just, I was just a casual better. I just put some money on because I fancied it. Yeah, I, similarly, I didn't really do too well in the, in the betting world. We, we do have some questions. We won't just ramble on here. Uh, some miscellaneous ones. Index Profit Hunter, how many times do you check the index a day? <laughs> uh, fairly regularly. Um, it's something that I monitor more these days for just seeing how the portfolio is doing. I sometimes um, watch the ticker because that could be quite fun and entertaining at the same time. Seeing some crazy instant sales of um, of people like Jamie Sancho <laughs> um, when people are buying him. But yeah, I'm on it quite a lot. But I, I guess index gain is something that I use a lot. And the portfolio price movement um, features that they've introduced in the last few months just means that I don't need to spend as much time on football index as such because I get the alerts. So um, that, that saves me some time. That gives me some time back with, with the family. So that's good. Yeah, I think it's important to take steps back sometimes, you know, like you don't want to be on it every single minute of every single day. I like it when I wake up and I don't really, oh, I forget about checking it until I get into work. I think it's happened a couple of times this week, especially when you're really busy and stuff. It's it's a nice feeling when you, you're like, oh, I haven't really checked. I think it's kind of good to kind of sometimes take that step back. It can actually help you when you're trading. I think when I had uh, Ivan Bayaji, the, the kind of trading grandmaster on the show, he talks a lot about kind of if you're kind of over trading and only ever looking at the platform and constantly looking at things, then it doesn't actually have the desired effect sometimes. So it's uh, important to, you know, turn away sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think... Um you can sometimes be guilty of, and I've done this in the past many, many times, and I'm I've sort of trying to stop myself from doing this, but you, you buy into a trade maybe the night before and you go to bed and then you wake up in the morning and you've seen them rise and you think to yourself, well, I'm going to I'm gonna take some profit on that because they've risen to the point I want, but then I'm up early and I'm probably ahead of most of the market. So I, you can be guilty of overtrading if you overcheck it too much, definitely. Um, sometimes it just, it's important just to wait two or three hours, not check it, come back, and you'll find that you've perfected the selling point. Now, that doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can easily get it wrong. But yeah, you're right. I think that the overtrading, um, it can be suit certain people, certain in- individuals. If, you, if you've got a strategy like that and you can stick to it, I think that's important. If you can default back to what you, your strategy was, that's that's great. But if, you are, if you're sort of flying blind and just trading with FOMO, um, fear of missing out, then... Um, you're going to get yourself caught out. Yeah, FOMO is one of those things that you've got to uh, avoid. I remember one of the first videos I made was avoiding FOMO and how to do that. So uh, if you haven't checked that out, cheeky plug, do so. Uh, Jamie Harwood, there we go, pronounced it correctly this time. Sometimes a tricky one, for me anyway. Uh, do either of you find it hard purchasing, or dare I say it, even cheering for, you, for a player you own in a rival club? And did you find it hard buying those players? Being a man you sport to myself, I find it very hard wanting Sterling and Salah to do well. Well, well, well I kind of, I did reply to this on Twitter because I found this question quite funny. And uh, I guess being a main night support right now, I'm surprised he wants to hold any of his players. But <laughs> I, I think um, for me, I don't hold any main night players currently and none in my fantasy team. So maybe I have a subconscious trading bias as a Liverpool fan that I don't realise. But I did hold Pogba for a long part of last season, a majority of it. Um, but I guess uh, that's probably because money talks and when he's earning me dividends and uh, rising in price at the time, then uh, why wouldn't I hold him? But yeah, in general, um, I don't think I actively ignore 
rivalries, but I probably subconsciously looked down on them. Um, I've probably held about one Everton player in my time, or two, two Everton players. So yeah, maybe I have a conscious bias. Yeah, <laughs> I, I find it really hard buying Arsenal players, actually, as an Arsenal fan. I, I like I tell myself not to because I'm like, you're biased towards them. And that actually bit yes. me really hard in the arse the other day. I was looking at the kind of rises in Havertz and all those kind of youngish midfielders who could do well on PB or could score an assist. And I had a look at Danny Caballos the day, like on the day that we were playing Burnley in the morning. And I was just about to get on a flight. And I was like, I'll just buy one to keep a marker on. Got off my flight, couldn't watch the game. <laughs> and then the next time I looked it was like a pound up it was ridiculous and I was like if I'd bought a thousand or a hundred or whatever amount I could have made a, a reasonable amount of money but it wasn't to be and, and with Spurs players I think I've hardly ever owned like Spurs players and again I'm just scared that maybe I'm you know not rating them enough but then it becomes like even a double bluff situation if I'm like okay I'm gonna buy Spurs players just because I dislike them or don't rate them and i might actually be right even if my bias is there if that makes sense oh yeah, yeah. i did the same with brewster as a liverpool fan you think that i would have been holding brewster from 12 months ago but my my strategies evolved since then if i'd have uh, my current strategy youth and ipds and we'll discuss a bit more in detail in a minute um i would have been on brewster um, immediately but a bit of bias like you said you, you almost I think you're harsher on your own team and you try not to allow your own um, bias to get in the way. But actually sometimes, I mean, some of these Arsenal youth rises recently have been insane. Yeah, I was literally about to, you took the words out of my mouth. I was like, do they not remember the Fran Maridas, the <laughs> Emmanuel Thomases, the Carlos <laughs> Velas? But I mean, I guess uh, people... <laughs> well, we'll come on to that. Uh, for every bad youth player, there's, uh, there's a good one. <laughs> definitely, definitely. I think, I mean, obviously situations change. A lot of people will say, oh, but Arsenal have just promoted Freddie Youngberg and he's he used to be the under-23 coach and he's going to help like bread breed the youngsters into the team and he might uh, take over Unai Emery if he doesn't do well this season so there's obviously loads of kind of devil's advocates I could play to yourself and myself but yeah I think we're going to get into these uh, discussions <laughs> later on in the podcast aren't we but before we get into those proper questions and even though those miscellaneous ones actually provoked some uh, pretty decent conversation <laughs> I need to plug episode 100 of the Figcast again. The Football Index podcast is going to be live in London, in Liverpool Street, on the 7th of September. And if you guys want to come and watch me, Sam Friedman, uh, Lee, Football Index SODD, and of course, Toll Bob FI, then why don't you grab yourself a ticket over on Eventbrite? It's bit.ly forward slash 2GF3ZYF. That is a mouthful, I know, but the link is bit.ly forward slash 2gf3zyf if you want to get yourself a ticket i think there's probably 20 percent left of those tickets which uh again i'm super chuffed by the turnout or what's going to be the turnout i hope come and have a, a beer and have a chat about football index you're not coming though chris are you unfortunately i can't make it but i would uh, wish i was coming. unfortunate it is we've got a question from a fellow liverpool fan here nick underscore lfc has there been a eureka moment on Football Index where you felt you had found your strategy that suits? Or even when you felt like you got the index? Really good question. Really thought-provoking. So thank you very much, Nick, because there definitely was. And to give you a bit of background, I started for the first six months focusing, as I said earlier, on research stats, PB, 
rational trades almost, you know, value through rational stats and PB scores, PB wins, um, trying to spot gems that hadn't been spotted by others. And, and I found a few and, and that was kind of helping. But for the first six months, I mean, for the first two or three months, you just don't get the index really. I didn't, I didn't, I thought I did, but I didn't looking back. And you kind of, I was going through this heavy research, as I said, and I got to January and I'd sold off some of my winter break players in intention to bring back. So I had a heavy PB port going into January. Then, of course, we had the massive new user boom in January, which um, fantastic for all of us. Um, my port was growing slightly. I think it was up 10% in January, it turned out, in the end, which I was quite happy with um, overall because it took me to about 25% return on investment. So I felt like I was pleased, but I was seeing rises everywhere and I was seeing people, I was getting that kind of, fear of missing out if anything i was seeing on timelines and things people getting 20 25 in that month and i i was happy i i thought you know i'm still making profit you know that's ultimately you've got to enjoy yourself and, and that so I, I was kind of happy i thought it made me think that i actively ignored the youth bubble as it was being called at the time mm. and i kept hearing it was a bubble kept reading it was a bubble and in my head i started to change in january to think actually is the youth a sub-market in the market and it's just a part of the market and, and it's going to be here forever and the, you can't ignore new traders coming in. If that many new traders are coming in and that many new traders are buying youth, you can't ignore that. You can fight it if you want, but I decided to that I would sort of maybe explore the opportunity of changing my portfolio into um, something different, change the strategy and maybe not so focused on PB. So <laughs> I'm quite a rational trader um, at heart. So <laughs> I needed something to sort of convince me that that was the right thing to do. So I actually, I went on to the total player return report on index gain. And if anyone hasn't got index gain or doesn't use it or doesn't know that report, I'll just briefly explain it very quickly. It takes your, the capital appreciation and the dividends. So that's quite important. I think the capital appreciation bit is really, really important here for the last, well, however long you want to run it for, but 12 months, let's say 12 months is what I ran it. And it tells you the percentage increase you would have made. Um, I did three different filters. Um, I did under 22. I did 22 to 27 in terms of age and 27 and above. And this was the eureka moment for me. This is when it really hit home because I did the 22 and under report and I saw triple digit percentage increases now. And now we all know the market was booming and that. but So I kind of looked at that and thought, yeah, that's great. But I was seeing triple digit returns and I was probably about three pages down. So about 75 odd players before I got to double digit. So that's... <laughs> I was like, wow, that's crazy. Like, and I'm not on very many of these. <laughs> so, you know, like you, Luka Jovic was at the top at the time, I think, because of his crazy five goals. I think it was his yeah. the first IPD um, game that we had. So it was crazy. And then I went to the next section and I saw, I think it was about two pages of triple digit return. So still pretty good, 23 to, 22 to 27 it was. That's still pretty good. But, you know, it's starting to tail off a bit. And then as I got to 27 and above, I'm seeing one page of triple digit. And in fact, it wasn't a whole page at the time. It wasn't even a whole page. So, and in fact, a lot of the players that was on that third uh, selection I chose was a lot of my PB holds. So I'm looking at thinking, yeah, I'm still making good returns, but could I be making more? So I started Research Youth because whilst I had a decent, I thought I had a decent track of the youth of the Premier League market, the English market, and some of the foreign youth I started watching a lot more European football from January onwards, um, not necessarily tied to the change of strategy, but just because I wanted to start watching more football, um, start researching more. And yeah, I just decided that I'm going to go and scour 
the internet for the next up and coming youth players. I'm going to start trying to get ahead of the market. And I didn't know where to start first. I went on Twitter. I found some accounts to follow. I was using mainly social media to begin with. And I was seeing what sort of players that people were suggesting on the timelines historically. There's some big accounts out there with a lot of followers that were finding players in advance of most of the market and they were making good profit out of it. So I want a slice of that is what I wanted to change my strategy to. So that's what I did. And I started building my own database of youth players, whether they're on the index or not on the index. So and rating them, ranking them, making comments on them, you know, going into real detail. I mean, and I've been building that database since sort of, yeah, mid-February, I think. Um, I did check, actually, for the podcast, my first proper youth buy, and I think it was something like February the 6th was when I first made my... It was Reese James um, at the time, who's not done too badly in terms of price since then. I'd never heard of him until I did the research. What were some of the factors that went into the research, if you don't mind? Like, let's dig into that a little bit, because obviously you're not going to really reveal your whole database, but what are some of the variables that went into the to the database for that player? I think um, there's a few things that come into play. Um, to begin with, it was all about, you know, who's getting talked about on social media and why are they getting the hype? Um, what is it about them that's getting the hype? And I think ultimately, Reshames is interesting because actually the first thing that I would say that I look for is the style of play. And that would be the attacking, more attacking players. So I think goals mean rises. You'll hear me say that in the Slack community many times, but goals gets attention of traders gets notifications through on various websites, you know, player prices rise off goals. Even if players, people aren't watching the game, they, they buy players because of goals. So an exciting attacking young player is going to get more attention. That's one thing. I mentioned social media, but, you know, hype, hype's so important. If a player is getting talked about a lot on social media, as long as it's the right social media accounts, then you can probably start to be quite sure that they've got something about them. And I guess what I started factoring in was career milestones so if i'm going to buy a youth player what is the reason that they are going to grow in price because they're not just going to this is the funny thing about the youth market i call it the market now not, not a bubble but not every youth player will rise um there are folders in the youth market and not every player is going to grow by you know 50 100 150 percent. so you've got to find reasons to pick the right players and not just hold every single youth player. So just going back to the career milestones, you've got things like first team debut, um, their first goal, international debut. You've got, are they going to get a transfer to a a PB league if they're a non-PB league player or going to go to a bigger club? So all these things are going to get traders excited about the player for some reason or another. They're going to be interested in them. And ultimately, that's what you want. You you want to find youth players that are going to get traders excited and they're going to want to buy them. You want to buy them before they do. And one last thing I, I just remember is the, the comparative value. Now, I, this is a bit of a grey area because um, it gets a bit loose because for every person you can compare to, there's, there's going to be a, a non-rational comparison as well. But um, you've got players right now that have surged significantly, as we discussed earlier in the pod, and there's going to be players out there that are going to could could follow the same trend and that same path to the first team and to some big clubs. So traders are going to naturally compare rightly or wrongly. I think what you've got to think about with youth players is, you know, you've got to be a bit fluid as well with youth holds. So I don't, you know, 60% of my port's youth. Um, the rest of it's IPDs. And then I've kind of got a mixture of euros going on at the moment. And it's a good question about that coming up. And I'm fluid though with the youth trades. Mm. 
So I don't just sit and hold. Okay. There are some trade. There are some players that I do want to sit and hold um, that I think really are going to be big. And I haven't got the time to all the you know time to monitor and constantly you know sell it always at the peak and then buy back if I think they're going to drop. And you forget about it. you get you don't want to miss on some of those rises. But there's some youth players that you know you think you're going to get those milestones and you think they're three months away and then they're actually six months away. So you have to make a decision: do you want to keep them or, or move move on? So yeah, I'm a fluid trader of youth, not a sit and hold for most of them. But um, you know, there's some players this season that have kicked on and surprised a few and surprised me and added them to my portfolio how do you decide when to sell some of these people people players because um it seems to be that you know it's really hard on these youngsters i was actually on the betting pod it's a relatively large betting podcast yesterday and so we're recording on wednesday i was on tuesday i don't know when that's going to go out but i was kind of talking about how dividends underlie the kind of player value but then if someone's really young their trajectory is wherever and that's set by traders and demand and it's really hard to judge because there's so little data so do you find it sometimes irrational to sell some of these players after only a little bit of data has happened and what i mean by that is you've just mentioned you know when they hit some of those milestones, say they've been in the first team for nine months and they've made their first team debut, we've only really still got nine months of data. Say they've just broken into the, the first team from the youth rank. So how do you decide that they are fair game in terms of selling? Tricky question. I mean, tricky answer. Um, <laughs> there's a big piece here around opportunity cost of the market at the moment. I mean, the market is is just growing like daily and it's just crazy at the moment. So I'm more fluid with my trades now than I probably would be on a slower period where I'd want to just sit and hold and trust some of my judgments. But I guess I do try and factor in there's youth players that are going to suit the matrix, suit football index in terms of dividends. And when I mean dividends, I also mean IPDs rather than just thinking performance, um, the performance buzz matrix of match day dividends, as it's now called. Um, if you've got a player you think is going to suit the performance matrix, then you probably want to stick by them and for longer term. But it's hard because if you think they've peaked and then they're going to drop by more than what you're going to buy them back for in a two weeks time um, after they've had you know a sell off from traders. I mean the market's getting really volatile, um, more and more volatile as it's getting bigger. So yeah, it, it's a bit of a gut feel. There's a trade recently that I held. He stagnated um, for the last few weeks, and he's just recently today significantly risen off the back of some some news. And I held him because I set myself a price that I think he's going to get to, and he hadn't got to that price yet. And I was going to hold throughout. So I guess for me, I price all my players. Um, I do track their prices, their movements, and I have a target price in mind, and I kind of have target steps in price. So I do refer back to that and that does help me not allow myself to get too greedy with some of these youth players because as you said they might hit milestones and they might pass them and then they might not get as big a spike as you expect or they, they might actually turn out to not be as good as the expectation is and the hype and you've got to be careful if you're going to hold someone through that um you've got to take the decline in price if you're willing to hold mm, mm. yes yeah, it's, it's certainly such an interesting area of the market just because of the unknowns isn't it yes it's so hard to kind of put your hat on it and especially when fi change dividend structures change pb matrices suddenly you know youth players that were going to become the next big thing in the previous matrix are, are no longer going to be the big next big thing and there's a maybe another batch that are going to be the next big thing if that makes sense 
Yeah, I think, though, the introduction of IPDs had such a change in dynamic for the market. Um, effectively, every player is value now from an IPD point of view. And, and when I say value, I don't necessarily mean rational value because somebody might be a pound and they very rarely score a goal. I just mean that everybody has a higher base price since IPDs came in because especially attacking youth players, and it's one of the reasons why I sort of mentioned attackers earlier, not only do they get the social media hype in terms of youth, they get the YouTube highlights, they get the goal highlights, they get the skill highlights, they probably will get more goals and assists. And that will drive their base price up over time. And that will get traders wanting to buy them, wanting, you know, excited by them. Now, their base price might be irrational if you start calculating their IPD return and their PB return. But I think the key thing here is the base prices. If you can find youth players where their base price is going to keep going up due to demand from traders, then they're the ones you want to be on. What you don't want to be on is, is, a, is a youth player that's got no path to success, got no potential um, goals, dividends or anything to success. And, and you could be, I'd also say as well, if you don't think you're going to get any return on them in the next 12 months, and that's hard to guess, by the way, you know, that, that's the tricky part of the youth market is, um, yeah, they all do rise eventually to a point because they're just youth. And there's always a buyer. I think that's the key thing <laughs> with, with the youth. One of the reasons why I actually feel the youth market is probably <laughs> the most safe and secure. I've, which it's definitely the most liquid, completely... isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, definitely, yeah. If you want to sell something in the youth market, you, you find a buyer pretty quickly. But actually, for me, I, I feel like it sounds a bit crazy, really, because you're basing your portfolio off players with no real rational value, apart from what other traders think. But I feel safe with that because mm. people always believe in youth. So if a player, you mentioned it earlier, gets into the first team, has a bad game, doesn't start for the next few weeks, they're going to drop in price, fine. But there will be another point in time for the next two or three years where they're going to get back into that team, unless it's completely gone pear Unless they're completely garbage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless they are genuinely absolutely garbage. <laughs> um, but they're going to get another chance. And that means there's going to be another chance when traders buy them again. And you almost see it. You see it now. I mean, I think you've mentioned it many times in the pod before, Yanisai. Um, <laughs> and, you know, the, he, was he 24 now? But, it, you, know, you know, he's younger than Lingard. I mean, that's a start. Must be super young then. <laughs> yeah, it must be about 14. But there's always people that are willing to buy him. And there will be up until a certain point. What that point is, I don't know. I used to think that 22 was the max. But, you know, there are players that are 23, 24 that are still considered young these days. I guess because they're not in their peak. So uh, there's always a buyer with the youth market. So if there's always a buyer, there's always liquid. If there's always liquid, that means that I can sell the players. Mm. That's great. That's, I mean, that helps me. I feel a bit bad for Yanazai and Bar uh, Gabriel Barbosa. I seem to <laughs> slag them off loads. <laughs> I've got nothing against either of them or even as hold on Football Index. You never know what's going to happen. What are some of the red flags when you're holding these youth players that I know we talked about selling a little bit and you said it's quite hard to decide, but give me some of the variables or some of the events that trigger you to say, right, I need to reevaluate this guy's trajectory. This season has been interesting because there's a few trades that I went into this season really confident on. Um, if I was a sit and hold trader, I would have just um, kept them. I decide they were supposed to be long term hold to me, but I recently sold them with the intention to buy them back. But the red flag for me was they weren't getting any minutes. They've gone into the squad, but they weren't getting any minutes, which means what's the reason for traders to want to buy them? And as I said earlier, with the market booming as it is, I'm looking at that money that I've invested. I'm thinking if I take that out of that player and put it in somewhere else, I'm going to make a bit more money on someone else. That's cool. Let's make sure I keep an eye on that player. So I think 
with me, I track and monitor a lot of players. Um, I have a lot of people on my list that I track with index gain and I use that tool to be able to just monitor prices. I've got every intention to buy these players back, but I'm waiting for the moment where they're going to spark that hype again. Mm. So it's, it's not getting in the team. I guess it's um, issues with the manager, maybe. They might be out of favour. It could be change of position. It could be change of what they're used by the manager. So um, player being played on the wing when they're a forward and that completely destroys the reputation that they get. Traders think that they're a poor player. Well, they're not really a poor player. They're just being played out of position and maybe they've fallen out with the manager. Um, so you've got, you've got to be a little bit careful. And as I said, I think if you're going to trade the, the youth market, you can sell players quite quickly. You can buy them back. Don't be afraid to buy back players. Don't allow your trading bias to get in the way. Don't buy players back that you believe in, but don't be afraid to sell them either um, at the right price. That's, I think, really, really great overview of your kind of strategy on, on that side of things, the, the 60% youth portfolio that you hold and the fluidity in which you move in and out of them and kind of the variables that you use to decide whether or not to buy, hold, sell. It's it's really interesting. Curious to hear what you've, the, the rest of your portfolio, the rest of the 40% holds. Well, I've really gone after IPDs this year. Um, I went into IPDs towards the sort of February, March time last season. And over the summer, I started listening to various different podcasts and started reading lots of websites like um, StatsBomb and started using Understat, um, the website, about the expected metrics um, to start to... I just got really interested into it. It's, it's something that sort of interests me. A lot of people sort of sniff at the expected metrics, but once you dig into them and understand them and get to know what they are trying to deliver, then they're actually quite useful Mm. um, because they try and take away that. The eye test is massively important. That's something I actually forgot to mention with the youth players. Stats are one thing, but an eye test is is massively important. And just just quickly back on the youth, um, there are players that I might like from a stats point of view or think they're going to suit football index or I think they're going to score goals. But once I see them in flesh, I might double my holding. And I might just do it that day when I see them play. Normally, it's a few games in. I, I wouldn't normally just double my holding on one game. Mm. Um, but I will watch a player for a few games. And um, there were some individuals over pre-season that, can, that were massively impressed me. And I just doubled holdings in them after a few games because I could just see that I could see the hype growing and I could see that they were going to be fantastic. Well, hopefully fantastic players. <laughs> yeah, so, so just going back to I, these sites, I... I I wanted to start, going back to me being a bit more of a rational trade, I almost wanted to find, <laughs> I enjoy research and stats and I enjoy that side of things. And obviously with the youth, it's a different kind of research. So I wanted to find something that would, that would suit what I like doing as well. And what I try and do is find players from an IPD point of view that are un- <laughs> traders haven't spotted yet or aren't buying, mm-hmm. but they are likely to return me goals and assists and they might have had a poor season last year, but they might have been expected in terms of the metrics to score more goals than they did or assist more than they did. Or is their formation changing this year? Is their position changing? Have they changed clubs? So I've really gone after IPDs this year, but it's not premium IPDs as you know you might want to call them. I'm talking sort of the sub sort of 50, 60 P IPDs, which for me is a massive change of strategy because I was scared for a long while to go into the, not young, sorry, to go into the, cheap end of the market, the real cheap end of the market, and to buy lots of shares um, because I didn't get it. I just didn't understand it. And for a long while, for a long, long while, I didn't understand it. And therefore, I didn't really know who I was buying. I'm seeing tips on Twitter. I'm seeing 
people in Slack suggest these players, and I'm looking at them going, why Why would people buy that? And what if I tie capital up in these players and nobody buys them? I don't mind instant selling. I think there's a time and place for it, and that's, that's cool. That's fine, and I, I'm happy to do that. But some of the spreads, I'm thinking, I'm looking at the percentages, thinking these lower end of the market since the share split have really you know, increased. You're talking sort of 10% spreads in some instances, which, ugh, fine, they're still the spreads. But if I can't get a buyer, I'm going to have to instant sell them. What I've learned is, and what I've realized this season is that if I find the right players and not going to get this spot on, I don't get every single player spot. Of course I don't. And I have to, I have to take some losses on some of them. But if I can find those players at the lower end of the market that are expected to score goals and then they pop up and score goals, I've already got them. <laughs> and there's some really good traders out there that, um, I've sort of, I've seen do it on very, on Twitter timelines. I've seen them play the, the lower end of the market really, really well. And I guess again, I wanted a piece of that. I wanted to see if I could do it. And yeah, I've had moderately, reasonable success from that recently something else that i've moved into straight after the announcement um about recently was the euros um so when i say ipds i include euros in there so the euro qualifiers that was definitely something that a lot of traders missed i missed it i want to say went on to it initially i missed it on the night of the announcement i quickly just read the announcement to a point wanted to buy as many players as i could spent two hours on the website that wasn't working and no one could buy any players. And then eventually bought some players that I wanted, completely missed anything else that was on the announcement until probably about 36 hours later when someone I saw someone just say, oh, by the way, the Euro qualifiers are now PB and IPD eligible. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, I was already thinking there might be some Euro players that I should start looking into from a longer term, whole point of view specifically. Young players that I think can make it at the Euros next year. Um, and then I'm hearing that the... I can win match day dividends from international qualifiers. I mean, first of all, the international qualifiers are as boring as anything, and I really fell out of love with them like a lot of people, I think, in football. Now they're really, really exciting because I get to earn some money from them, so that's fantastic. But yeah, I got straight onto that. It has been very successful for me as a trend because I think it's only within the last, probably, last week that I'm seeing lots of talk about the players to buy for the Euros and which are the best IPD players to buy. So I've had some reasonable success buying some players on that, um, trying to find players that will um, tick lots of boxes in terms of win IPDs. So uh, that's done well for me at the moment. Nice. I mean, great to hear that you've had such success with them. How, how large is your portfolio in terms of number of players out of, out of interest? Because you seem to have like a set, you know, youth and then your IPDs and then your Euro strategy. And obviously you might jump on another trend, but just out of curiosity. I'm at 85 now. I was about 55 before I really changed to go after IPDs properly in terms of the, the sub cheap market. So I probably lost five, I probably, yeah, whatever that calculates, but I've got 30 odd IPDs or something like that, um, players that are, again, it's fluid again though. So, you know, fixtures are so important. Um, currently the amount of market hype for certain types of fixtures, certain types of trades, Goals are just people, I mean, the player prices at the moment for some of these IPDs have gone way beyond my expectation. I bought a load of IPD players in the summer, um, like like a lot of traders, to gain the capital appreciation for when people bought them, bought into them. I, I had my own prices that I thought they were going to get to based on expected metrics and return and adding a little bit for Europe and European qualifiers, etc., etc. Um, if they're in Europa League, I should say that kind of thing. And the price has just gone way beyond what I expected, so... You know, I could have made a little bit more on that, of course I could, but I got out of those players um, 
yeah yeah it's really interesting to hear about your strategy and kind of the variety of different ways that you look to make money on, on football index we've spent about 30 minutes on that question cheers nick uh fi gardener do you feel traders are now more heavily looking at players with single game pb days with huge swings is this good for the market um yeah i mean i was definitely um as in definitely traders are looking at single game pb days i think during the last dividend increase the single game days had a higher increase percentage wise um, for dividend returns than the other days. And that was just because of the whole rounding, not wanting to round down to like 0.5p or whatever it was, but that kind of has helped. And I think also helped start this surge was the Premier League starting on a Friday night um, and being a single game day and seeing Liverpool, you know, be Norwich and, and lots of goals flying in. I think the price rises that we started seeing on that first night kind of caused a, a fear of missing out effect on a lot of traders. Then we've had new traders coming in and the new traders are going to jump on whatever the current trend is. And the current trend definitely is by players that are doing really, really well, whether it be PB, whether it be IPDs, you know, get on those players. So I think this will last for a little while longer, but I do think the single game days, it's a bit self-fulfilling because there's what's happened is there's a lot of traders that have um, more experienced traders have caught on to the fact that this is happening and therefore they're maximizing the opportunity from it, which is absolutely fine. Cool. Great. I, I'm doing it. I'm sure there's a lot of us doing it. Um, so it creates this kind of self-fulfilling that everyone's now buying for single game days. And we've had some crazy rises in the last 48 hours um, on certain teams because of some fixture changes that have happened and some game days that are coming up. So whilst that's still an opportunity, there's going to be people buying players for it and then, you know, suggesting players for it. So that's cool. Do I think it's good for the market with the swings? Um, I mean, like, we're on a trading platform. And the, the bigger the FI, FI gets, which is what we all want, the bigger the volatility, I think, because especially with the type of traders that seem to be coming on at the moment, a bit of a generalisation there, but, you know, people are, look, it appears to be people that are just wanting to take a punt on things, you know, put, put buy 300 shares of a player, hope they do well on that game. If they don't get the rise, instant sell immediately. That's fine. That's cool. It's good for us, all of us, because the more commission FI get, the better in a way. I think the key thing here is, traders need to it takes time to learn this and it's especially as a new trader it's hard because you and if you've never experienced trading like i hadn't when i first joined seeing these peaks and troughs of player prices is just crazy and it scares the hell out of you but i think they need to be embraced um i think any volatile market brings opportunities so when player prices are crashing because they get a slight injury or they get subbed or they haven't scored a goal and you back that player and or you think that you just maybe buy that player because they've dropped and you think they've got a chance to rise. That's an opportunity. So I think once traders teach themselves to avoid the fear of missing out and trade with the volatility rather than against it, which is hard to do, um, you get used to it and you find it's, it's an opportunity rather than rather than it doesn't scare you so much. Yeah, I think the single game day thing's been really interesting. I think what you said there about Liverpool being on the first game of the season and seeing those crazy rises there may or may not have kind of maybe convinced a lot of new traders that this is kind of the way things are always and they won't always be like that there's going to be you know games in the future where there are a single game day someone scores a brace and they only go up like 7p it's it's going to happen it's all about kind of like the perception of certain players and if they do score goals on single game days where there's a massive bucket load of attention on them from traders then they probably are going to rock it, rightly or wrongly, right? 
Yeah, definitely. And I think early in the season, we're all looking for the next hidden... Yeah, Mo Salah, Jaden Sancho with uh, Savanier, Savanier. Mm. Um, the next PB gem that nobody's heard of yet due to various reasons and change of tactics or whatever. So we're all trying to find that player and we're all trying to find them quicker than the trader next to us in, in the queue. So it just creates this spiraling effect. And um, I mean, all I would say is the more money that comes into the index, whether it be on your players or not, it's just good for all of us because eventually it gets recycled. So that's are just great to see the, the footy growing every day. It's just fantastic. It's probably also, you know, <laughs> I mean, subconsciously, the triple game days, you have less. They've kind of taken a little bit from the triple game days and, and added to the single, haven't they, in terms of yeah. taking that little bit of star off. It's um, And with the rounding, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, it creates another dynamic. It's really good for short-term traders, and it's obviously really good for maybe those medium to long-term traders who are looking to exit certain positions or, take some money off the table if one of their players scores they go up like 20 percent, and they they look at that and say wow that was kind of my target for the next two months not the next two days they might take some profit off the table so it kind of could be a win-win for a lot of people yeah definitely nice we'll move on to duncan butler's question from twitter uh, which players in your portfolio are exceptions to your strategy and what makes them so special well I actually, uh, this is a really interesting question. It made me really, really think I had to go and review my port to see if I had any players that went against my strategy because I'm quite religious in my strategy and try and stick to it as much as possible and try and avoid that FOMO as much as possible because it's that can be an absolute killer. Um, I have tried some in-game flips recently. I, I was relatively decent, I thought, last year at it, but this year I've been absolutely terrible. Um, got left with 100 narrows the other day. Um, and I didn't want any. I didn't want to keep any of those, so that took a few days to sell. But the players that are exceptions, I held Pogba for a long while um, up until the summer. And even though I changed my strategy, I held him for a lot longer than I would have done, simply because I thought he would go up in price, and and eventually he wouldn't leave Man United, and he would substantially rise. Um, you know, without going too much into Pogba, because there's enough debate on Twitter and everything about Pogba. I did get out of him, so he was the, the big exception to my strategy. Um, current one, I'd probably say, even though his youth is Jaden Sancho, only because I tend to not buy top-end youth anymore. But Jaden Sancho is just simply like superb future, <laughs> future king of the index, I think. He's just got everything going for him, potential moves to the Premier League, Euro 2020. He's exciting to watch. He's just fantastic. So he's kind of my what the player in my port that I intend to not sell any more of and and just stick to what I've got and just enjoy the fact that I've got him in my portfolio. He's actually probably replaced Messi for me because I used to have Messi in my portfolio simply because I loved watching Messi and I didn't want to have a Barcelona game there. <laughs> I missed out on making some money for Messi, but um, yeah, Sancho's become my lovable asset and this kind of contradicts my strategy, even though he's youth um, in that sense. <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, it's really interesting to hear that, actually. I think Lee or SOTD always says that he holds Messi just because, for the love of it, it's, it's quite interesting. I think given the size of my portfolio, I started off pretty small when I first joined. And over time, I've wanted to recycle the money and, and grow the portfolio as quickly as I could, put in more money in as well. But I wanted to just make turn that profit into more profit, into more profit, into more profit. I could just put some money into some of these players that I love. But that's one of the reasons why I created this strategy for myself and I told myself to stick to it because it's making me money. So 
it was a shame when I sold Messi. Um, <laughs> I didn't think I was going to do it, but I did. And, you know, it is what it is. I still can watch Messi. So all good things come to an end, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, speaking of strategies, uh, Figcast friend Liam, or Football Index LM, as some of you may know him on Twitter, ran a great survey that got 250 responses from various traders. He asked questions such as, who will be the king of the index this time next year? Who's going to win the most dividends for the next 12 months? And he wrote an amazing article detailing people's strategies and their views of the index in the future off the back of these results. Uh, he was kind enough to say a few words for the pod, overviewing some of the key findings from this survey so let's hear from him now hi everyone i'm here to tell you about the big football index questionnaire that i conducted for footballanalysis.com over the last few weeks and to give you a little taster of the results so firstly i want to say thanks to all of those who took part and took the time to complete the survey without you guys obviously this would never have worked over 30 hours was spent by 260 traders answering my questions um, so very grateful for that that's over 100 participants more than I had when I conducted this similar kind of activity this time last year so that's obviously a great improvement I was very happy with that so thank you for your contribution another thing with that is that it means I was able to get a real mix of different backgrounds from new traders um, you know uh, all the way to so-called FI veterans we had people playing with hundreds of pounds. We had people playing with tens of thousands of pounds, even hundreds of thousands at times. So we got real scope from different users of the platform. And of course, thanks to Fig for giving me the time to talk about it. And hopefully uh, we get a few interested traders to listen to this and then decide to go and have a look at the article and the analysis. And hopefully something interesting in there for all of you. So the questionnaire covered a range of areas, uh, one of which was portfolio statistics, which were then used to give an idea of the average trader's portfolio setup and their profits. So, for example, we learned that the average initial deposit was around £1,100, which is quite a significant amount, right? But we then saw that the current net deposits averaged at just under £10,000, which is a huge leap. Um, I think it shows you know, great confidence in the platform that people have in invested and then continue to invest over their, their football index journey. And another thing to point out there is that that figure is £2,000 more than it was last year when it looks at net deposit averages, which again is a very positive indicator and it's one of many positive indicators of platform growth that was evidenced, I think, uh, in the findings of this article. So it also looks at traders' predictions of dividend winners, price movements over the seasons, and again, this is another area of lots of positive sentiment. The predicted price for who would be top of the index come the 1st of January 2020 was averaged at £8.62, which is like, you know, £1.50 more than what Neymar is currently sitting at. So people are still expecting a strong end to the year, you know, strong start to the season, which again is very uh, good to see. To give you some other tasters, the article discusses who people's biggest holds are in terms of pound. There's 57 different responses to that, some, you know, more popular than others and some a little bit questionable. But, you know, again, it demonstrates how people have got different attitudes and, and styles of trading these days, which is very interesting. I also talked about biggest hold in terms of number of shares, 
we look at dividend totals and we even take opinions on football index services overall. So that's things like customer service, um, website design and the competitions that they offer. So if you want to read more, the article is pinned to my Twitter page at Football Index LM and is linked into the notes in this podcast. Thank you for that fig. And it's also available on footballanalysis.com alongside lots of other FI content, um, which may be helpful to some of you guys. And if you have any other questions regarding the data, any further analysis you'd like to look at, feel free to reach out to me and I will do my best to get back to you with that. Hopefully I find something interesting for you all in there. And thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Thanks so much for that, Liam, and uh, on with the show. Uh, FPL Grinder from Slack. Do you expect last season to repeat itself by the arse falling out of the PB <laughs> market once the hype of the new season and especially new Matrix has withered in the face of the vagaries of winning PB? I don't actually know what that word means. In the va- vagaries. Vagaries? Yeah, 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 yeah. Good old Grinder. <laughs> Almost misread um, it for a moment. I was like, uh, uh, that looks strange. <laughs> we chat on Slack, so I'm, I'm aware of what he means there. So, yeah, I, I think um short answer is yes. <laughs> I think that will happen. But I think as a kind of, I've mentioned it before but earlier in the pod, but I think it's a case of FOMO, people not wanting to miss out on the next potential gems of PB at the moment. So PB's back in favour. You know, you can buy a player now. You've got twelve months nearly of football. You can you can make a decent yield out of a player now if you bought them at sixty p. They rise to a pound. They start winning some PB dividends. You know, you kind of you've got that maximum period of time in the next sort of nine to twelve months to make a good yield out of a player if that's if that's your strategy and that's what you want to find. Um, I, I think it's going to last a few more weeks, especially with the Champions League and Europa League draws to come. We're going to get some interesting groups. We're going to get some great matches and game days and things and less teams playing. So you're going to have that. People are still going to want to go after PB. But I think to answer your second part of the question, the Matrix point is is brilliant because the Matrix is so... I agree with him in the sense that when the Matrix got changed, it was changed a lot more than I certainly expected. Yeah, Um, When I say changed, added because they enhanced it rather than changed things which I'm, I'm pleased they didn't just suddenly change everything they just added to it but they added so much more than I expected them to add um caught me a bit by surprise I did some modeling um myself and some of the the data that we expected them to include based on the surveys it did and an index gain have done the buzz matrix report as well so that's allowed us to see what potential mate, uh, pb scores would have got last year but to grinder's point you know at the end of the day we just don't really know um how players are going to do and, and I, you're seeing tips now these days um, and suggested players to buy because they've hit a score of 160 you don't know right now if 160 is a good score anymore <laughs> on a single game day 160 could be the old 120 you know so yeah it's um I think we are going to see the PB market drop um, going again into Christmas and etc etc so it's, it's only so natural yes. really especially as we get nearer towards the end of the season that that happens because money's just going to move out it's going to go into summer transfers. It's going to go into players that could uh, get promoted internally from their teams, etc. There's loads of things like that could happen. The thing about FI is that players only drop so much until someone else finds value in them. It's one man's trash is another man's gold, right? Yeah. And you're seeing that more and more. I mean, 
Injured players is the great one, isn't it? It's just, they drop, and before you know it, people have started hoovering them up um, because they know effectively that somebody's going to buy them eventually. And if they're just patient, then they're going to get that that growth back. Same with PB holds um, over time. At the, the beginning, I mean, look at the rise of the PB players. Some of the rises of, of are way beyond again what I expected to grow to. And it's funny because kind of you know I'm a bit ageist now on FI because of my youth um, holds, but. I'm happy to buy some older players, especially for IPDs and stuff. But some of the PB players that have grown in price are, are the older players, which has surprised me, to be totally honest, because they were completely out of favour um, back in sort of March, April. <laughs> no, one wanted, no one wanted anyone that was over 28 um, off a PB hold, and even if they're playing Champions League football. So that's it's been really interesting to see, um, see that. How times change so quickly, yeah. right? It's so funny because when certain things happen, like people start tweeting stuff like, oh, I'm never going to buy someone over 28, 29, 30 again. And then three months later, you see loads of people buying those players. And similarly, oh, I'm, I'm not going to buy youngsters anymore. And then three months later, they're buying youngsters. So it's really interesting to see how quickly the tide turns. But what's probably prominent and prevalent there is that if you do have a strategy and stick with it, then three months isn't actually that long a time if you're looking a bit more long term, right? Yeah, yeah I think, and I think you've got to, remind yourself that you can't have every successful trade there are successful players are rising all the time on football index um more so at the moment but throughout the season and you can't you can't be successful with every trade you can't be on every single riser and you can't predict every single player that's going to go up in the market so you've got to just let a few go and you've got to just watch some of them rise that you might have um not expected and just forget about it and stick to what you are good at if you can find out what you're good at on football index and find a strategy that suits you whether it's to do with the amount of time you've got spare, whether you want to be on social media all the time, whether you want to be play, trading in goal, you know, in-game trading, um, you just got to find what suits you and then and try and stick to it, I think. Yeah, I, I think that's so true. Find what suits you, find what suits your lifestyle, find what, what doesn't stress you out. Um, there's definitely a, a stress to profit ratio that needs to be <laughs> kind of like perfected by traders, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. 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 Well, we'll move on to uh, the ad break now or where I plug index gain, which to be honest, Chris, you've probably done for me. I might not even read out the ad, but if you guys do want to see some great data that Chris has kind of plugged throughout the pod and some really, really helpful people in the uh, index gain Slack community, as well as some of the features that the Slack channel uh, has, including Buzzbot and so on and so forth, um, head over to indexgain.co.uk. And if you use the code fig 2020 you get 50 percent off your first month which is uh, not too bad a deal the next question is from ian matthias that's an interesting name i um, never trust a man with two first names someone told me once <laughs> chris he asked for adjusted strategy to target upcoming euro qualifiers so you mentioned this previously as one of your kind of subsections of your portfolio so why don't you dig into it a bit more and talk to us a, a bit more about how you've researched this uh how big a thing do you think these euro qualifiers are going to be for the index um big and i don't think we've even we've started this week to scratch the surface of some of these prices but i still think there's there's more to go i think we're also desperate for internationals to have something you know something fun to do with them and, and suddenly we've got now um, players from random nations that can win performance dividends, that can win in-play dividends, players that have got extra value added to them. And yeah, I, I guess I, I had a quick 
check of my portfolio and 40% of my portfolio is, is Euro eligible. Um, so probably 10, 15% of those were already going to be um, players that I already had in my portfolio. But yeah, since the announcement, I've, I've really focused on the Euros, certainly with IPDs as well. So how did I find them? Just hours of research, really. Yeah, as I said, once I realized what the announcement meant, I started scouring international teams. I looked for who's you know top of the group, who's doing well, what groups they're in, what games they've got coming up, and then just had to start finding out which players through you know SofaScore or whatever, whatever data site you want to use um, to find out who are actually on the index and are they scoring goals. I focused as a sort of similar thing to what I said before. I focused on goals, so I'm looking for goals and assists. I haven't really focused on performance dividends. I'd say myself. But there's definitely IPDs, and I've tried to find players that not only target Euro qualifiers, but also have European football, so Europa League or Champions League football. So you kind—I mm. call them triple threat, and I have a little status in my portfolio called triple threat. So you can get IPDs from them, and they're on Euros and they're on European football. Because I've done a little bit of research, and you're going to get a lot of fixtures within a three-month period. You get, I think, it's something like. 12 fixtures in three months and I could be wrong which might not sound a lot but for some of these players in the past all they had was Champions League and Europa League and you're now getting an extra four five six euro matches so I moved quite quickly to these players I went for the cheaper end I didn't go for your sort of one pound plus I went for some real punts I put my first over a thousand shares into a player for, from a Euro player because he was something like 18p and he's a good one because he hasn't risen yet. So um, I'm wait, I'll be waiting for a goal on, on him, I hope. Otherwise, I'm, I'm inflicted by a massive spread <laughs> of about 4p or something like that. So there's a few gambles that I've gone with. And, and I think, as I said, alluded to earlier, as, as I've got more experience with the, the lower end of the market, I'm more confident, I think, with some of these players. I'm less concerned about the spreads. But yeah, I ideally don't want to be instant selling that player. I'd like him to get an assist. Please, <laughs> please, please. I think there's a couple of things that I think the Euro qualifiers have kind of added to the index in terms of, uh, you know, creating a more dynamic platform, so to speak. I think it creates more cycles, which is kind of the good thing, money shifting from left to right. Um, it also means the, you know, football index is actually reflective more on the pitch performance, which mm. is great. Uh, the other thing is, we've talked a lot about on this show, and I think Joel from Football Index Edge was the first one to talk about it. He's, he said to me, you know, on the pod, there aren't actually that many 30 day periods in throughout a football season because we've got break that's coming up in September, isn't it? Uh, the one in October, yeah. then the one early next year in 2020. And then there's also the winter break for all the leagues apart from the Premier League. So suddenly you're looking at four reasonable gaps for four of the five leagues. And that means that there aren't actually that many good 30-day periods. And what this Euro qualifier does, especially for those European players, those players that get into those European teams, they actually have more regular 30-day windows where you can actually trade in and out of full that 2% to, to earn those dividends that you might be looking for. Definitely. I think it's really good from FI. And I think I hear traders uh, mentioning there's been no dividend increase for a long while. Well, actually, I think this is a dividend increase um, because on the face of it, you might say it's just people think just PB. Sometimes I think some people just get stuck on PB because that's what they're used to and they love. Um, and that's the USP of the product, which is you know hopefully FI keep, keep that and keep focusing this on that to a certain extent. But IPDs are, you know, they've got however many games on these European nights and there's currently there's not loads of players that are available um, on FI at the moment but imagine if they made most of these players available you've got 
they're going to be giving 1p dividends away on players scoring goals on all these matches. Um, that's a lot of money that they're going to be putting back into the index. They're going to get a load of commission from it as well. So I personally think football index make money from IPDs and, and do quite well out of them. Um, I know that's an interesting debate that with a lot of, I see that a lot, a lot on a lot of um, forums or someone actually asked that question. I forgot who it was. I think it might've been grinder again, um, but I didn't add it because he'd already had a question. Apologies if it's someone else, but do you want to get into that a little bit? Like what are your thoughts behind FI definitely making money from in-play dividends? So I think from a purely rational standpoint in terms of they're paying one P on a, you know, one pound player or 50p player and and that kind of thing. If you start rationally thinking about it, I think there's an argument to say, do they make money? But I think for me, the amount of trading that I saw immediately when IPD started, I mean, and it's just got bigger and bigger and bigger. The amount of people that are gambling on somebody to score or get an assist for a game and then are either willing to sell them before they get the payout, sell them before the game finishes, sell them just because capital appreciation happens on players that score goals. Yeah. There's so many sales that go through that if I don't end up having to pay dividends out on, it's just just created a a, a much more fluid market. And there's so many more trades that are going through that mean players are being traded that never, there was no reason to buy some of these players before IPDs. They were never going to win performance dividends. They were never going to win uh, media dividends. Some of these players are never even going to get transfers to PB leagues. And now we've got people trading them because of IPDs. So I think, and I've seen Adam Cole's sort of responses before on Twitter to source. He kind of alluded to that he likes them. You'd assume that means that he thinks they're profitable too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you'd hope. I mean, I see you've got the guys coming on the pod next. So um, maybe it's a question for them on their podcast. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they'll IP- tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think it's done a fantastic job of creating a trading market where there's mm. constantly sales going through, there's constantly buys going through that I personally think there's enough sales go through and enough commission that and the spreads, you know, there's a lot of spreads that are, they've grown their spreads, definitely, whatever they you know, might say on their podcast or whatever they might reply, they've definitely grown some spreads, which personally, as I said, it just doesn't bother me, but that helps them make more money. So I think IPDs definitely have been, I think they've been profitable for FI. I wasn't actually a massive fan of them when they first came out. And then I kind of had my head turned. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, I like them at the current balance they are compared to the rest of the dividends but if we increase things i wouldn't want them increased too much because it kind of sways the balance too much towards ipds and that becomes it creates a weird dynamic in the market but also becomes a slight business risk i think for fi in terms i think i've i say this probably too much in the podcast but it's kind of easy to replicate isn't it that's what i said on the previous podcast with trading yeah uh, value. and i think um yeah grinder did ask that question <sighs> But I think there needs to be a PB dividend increase again in the near future. And, and I don't mean that just because dividends just need to increase because I don't think that's the case at all, that in general, all dividends need to increase because I think enough people are buying on IPDs at the moment that they're really good value, et cetera, et cetera. But I predicted I went back in February before the, the previous increases, or it might have been, no, sorry, it was post the previous dividend increase moment. It was March then, I think. I projected forward growth on the premium players and a lot of the top end players to November and looked at what their yields would be based on 
previous dividends. So, you know, there's a lot of grey areas here because things change. But it suggested to me that come November, December, if they didn't do some sort of dividend increase, then performance dividends are getting going to just be so diluted that they're going to almost lose a reason to buy. Now, the market's grown massively and people are still buying for PB at the moment. And as I said, I'm not so sure that they're buying necessarily for PB yields. They're buying more because PB players are rising in price. I agree with you that US, that was what got me onto the platform. You know, from a USP point of view, performance, the performance buzz side of things was fantastic and it excited me. It was rational and, and it was a bit of fun. It's different. And I do think anyone could come in and just create an IPD platform and just pay out on an assist and just replicate that model. And that is the one thing that does, it's probably the only thing that actually worries me about the, as much as I love the IPD market is that, that it does go too much towards um, IPD just from a business model point of view. So mm, mm, I tend to agree, tend to agree. But it's really hard to even try and begin to work out whether or not FI make money from IPDs because yeah. what do you put it against? Like if you were saying these are all our outgoings, what are their incomings? Because you can't directly attribute like you can't necessarily say a player was bought in a game for IPDs and sold for like, even though it's not rational. Do you know what I mean? Like it's a, yeah, exactly. it's a really hard I've thing to work out. Really good debates on Slack about the IPDs. Um, do they make money? And, and, and again, it, yeah, my point was, and I tried to get, get this across was that I think it's just generally been better for the platform since introduced. Yeah. IPDs. I don't really think they care that much. Yeah, exactly. Whether, whether they individually make money on an individual trade or not, doesn't matter they might lose money on that player but they might make money on that player but overall they've basically made trade it's a trading platform they've made more people trade so they're getting more commission great it's an awful analogy but imagine if i'm a a shop that just sells like diaries and then suddenly i start selling pens but customers start coming into the shop to buy pens but then end up buying diaries. If I don't make money on the pens overall, I've still kind of increased the money that I'm making for my shop. So I think that might be a similar thing with IPDs. Even though FI might not be making money, they might be making money from IPDs. But again, as I mentioned, it's really hard to, what do you compare it to? What money in do you compare it to? I think they might have just looked at it and said, well, IPDs have had direct correlation with kind of turnover in terms of trades and the volume of trades. We saw, was it seven or eight million over the bank holiday weekend? That's crazy. Think about yeah. the commission there, 2% on, on those uh, seven or eight million traded. That's buys and sells, right? So let's say four million, 2% of that, that's quick maths, 2% of uh, 10% of, it's like, you know, if, how much is that? <laughs> I'm letting you think we'll work this one out, Fig. <laughs> four million. <laughs> oh, it's been a slow day. £80,000. £80,000? See? I think. (laughs) I got that wrong as well. But I think the key thing here with the IPDs is that we've got, they're easier to market as well. Mm. So you go out there to traders and you say, you could win 5p on performance dividends. And someone says, well, what's a performance dividend? You you know this, we all know this ourselves when we try and explain football index to, to our friends or family or colleagues or whatever. And you go, right, IPD, right, you can make one, pa- one P per goal. And they go, okay, I get that. And then you start trying to explain performance matrix. Now, what, what do I get? What game, single game day, double? I think IPDs have helped with the marketing because it's a much clearer return individually. I'm not too sure I agree with that. I mean, they probably helped, but I think 
you know, in the the pod that they did from FI with Stuart, the head of acquisition, he talked about how capital appreciation graphs are still the best way of acquiring customers. And you know what? I do agree with you on one point that it is, if it's the first step of your learning, then it's good for the platform. But overall, I think that it doesn't really matter anymore. I've, I've toyed with this in my head. I was like, oh, does it matter if they make money or from IPDs or not? But if it generates more trading and more liquidity in the platform, then it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, liquidity is ultimately the most important thing, especially if we move into the world of order books and, and in the future. So that's what's really important. Do you want to see um, cup games and say, you know, South American qualifiers get added to, um, you know, as they've done with the Euros? Could that be quite interesting? For some reason, I've never been too sure around cup games. It goes back to if there's not enough players to make it worthwhile doing, then why add it in the first place? At the moment, obviously, given the current scenario with IPOs, they we just don't have... At the moment, we haven't got enough players that are IPO'd for the current leagues that were actually winning dividends on themselves. So do I want to see cup games, you know, maybe towards the end of the cups, maybe? But I don't know. I don't know. I'm not... I'm happy as it is. Um, I'm pretty relaxed in terms of what the current leagues are, what the current competitions are. There's enough of them at the moment. It's pretty cool. I'd probably add a bit, to be fair. Maybe that's just me being selfish. And uh, But the more football that is reflected on FI, I think the, the better. Like, you know, there's quite a few cup games on this evening uh, that I didn't even really pay attention to, but I might have done if um, they were on FI, for example. Yeah, and there might not yeah, be that yeah. many players added, but, you know, that might be only for the from, you know, the first few rounds. And you could even, as you said, start from a certain round and, and onwards. Yeah, I... I... I guess it's just it'd be more football tough to watch, and I'm probably probably <laughs> probably probably not enough hours to watch it. So um, no, I, I guess actually, yeah, anything they add, maybe uh, anything they add in gives some traders connect an edge from. So if you can get an edge from it, then then great. Bloody hell! Thank God we moved on from uh, in play dividends because I don't think my brain could handle any more maths. <laughs> the last few questions are again about youth because you're you know clearly a big fan as we spoke about them for thirty minutes at the beginning of the podcast, but. I'm going to read out these three questions and then we can kind of get into whichever one you prefer and dive into them. Uh, Frosty says, knowing you and your slightly concerning love for Trent Alexander-Arnold and youth, how do you value youth and what stats make you buy them? Uh, Desi Ballers says, I've seen you hold a fair amount of youngsters in your portfolio. Was this a change in strategy or did the dividends never matter? And then TC says, when assessing youth talent for FI, how do you judge a player's value without having any historical PB data? So some of the stuff that we've definitely touched on, but some of them we haven't. So why don't you get into it? In terms of Frosty's question, I think I've answered most of that in terms of style of play, social media milestones, transfer potential, and ultimately our trade is going to want to buy them. That's what you've got to find reasons for. Um, in terms of um, the second question, yeah, again, I alluded to the change of strategy. The reason why I did it was that I'd made 25% return on investment up until end of January. And I wanted to turn my portfolio faster and I wanted to find a new edge. And I wanted to focus on capital appreciation. So did dividends matter? I liked earning dividends. Um, it's free money in a way, but dividends were only ever sort of five, ten percent of my profit. And I was earning pennies, not pounds, with the size of my portfolio at the time. So it was good earning dividends. I enjoyed earning dividends from matches that I won, uh, sort of you know, performance game days, etc. But 
yeah, I, I definitely wanted to chase capital appreciation, and it was clear capital appreciation in the in the youth market was there if you can get the right players. Um, on the final question from TC, yeah, this is this is good fun actually because a lot of these players either have, they might not have ever played a game or they have only played youth football or they don't play in a PB league. You've got no statistics currently to judge them on. I have had some success. I think it's, it's worked out quite well on reviewing manually reviewing PB scores from players in the championship and non-PB leagues. So I've done I've done some shares on Twitter in the past. Obviously, I'm not a massive. I don't post a lot on Twitter, but um, there are some things I've posted, sort of some comparisons of some championship right backs and some of the non-PB players in the past. So I've taken data from who scored, sofa score. And I've tried to sort of model up what the type of player they are, what their performance base score would be, you know, what's their return on IPD. So I've kind of used some of that stats to work up, are they any good? But a bit like any scout out there, proper professional football scout, the, the stats and data only get you to, they get you to a pool of players that you're going to look mm. at. I use Smarter Scout now, um, sort of went on to Smarter Scout really quickly when it launched because I was aware it was coming. Um, so really, really good pod that you had with the guy from Smarter Scout. That mm. that even helped me. And even though I joined it and used it, and I was using it, he kind of just reaffirmed some of the ways to use it for me. But you know, all these sort of scouting tools get you to certain players, and but ultimately, it's the eye test as well. So I was finding players that I think are going to be good for football index, or traders are going to want to buy, and then I was actively trying to find highlights. Go and watch, you know, not go and watch matches, but watch the matches on TV. Over the summer, I was watching all the youth tournaments. I was watching the Toulon tournament. I was watching under-21s. I was watching a lot of um, tournaments that I would never have ever watched in the past. I was watching the under-17s. you know, And all of this ultimately was to build up my sort of database as well. So these players that I was um, judging and I was sort of, I was tracking and monitoring. And, and some, you know, I've watched some players and I've watched over, and they've, as I said, I rate players. Um, I have a two rating system. I have a potential rating system. And then I have an FI rating. Um, so that kind of tries to help me appreciate someone might be a very, very high potential player, but I don't think they're going to get a lot of traders to buy them at the moment. So they might get, you know, like a two out of five rather than a four or five out of five. And then just Smarter Scout, I think if anyone hasn't used it or isn't using it at the moment, it's free. It, you get 10 credits a day. Um, sounds like I'm plugging it, but I don't get paid by them, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but you get 10 credits a day and you can compare players' ability using their their model. And I don't know their model in detail, but I've you know, read it and everything, but across leagues. So you could go and get a report of a player that plays in you know the Portuguese league or the Belgium league, and you can compare how they might perform versus a, the Bundesliga or the, the Premier League or whatever. So that also can give you a bit of an edge, I think, because you can you can try and work out which players, if they did get a move to a bigger club, are actually worth keeping and holding through. Oh, wow. Some really interesting things that I didn't really understand. But I, I seem to not understand a lot of things, this podcast, especially maths uh, and maybe speaking English. But um, <laughs> uh, you, um, yeah, using Smarter Scout, it's, uh, it's a really interesting tool. That kind of cross-comparison across leagues is really, really, really interesting. That's what actually drew me to the product and kind of, uh, like I, I was like this is perfect for you know people that listen to the pod in terms of um getting them an insight into the that product and, and how that guy has created a, a really amazing scouting tool it's simple to start with 
I do recommend reading the FAQ section because <laughs> it's, it is a bit complicated um, once you d- dig into the detail. But um, once you get your head around it, I think it's quite and, – and little little tip as well, you can scout a player and then add them to your favourites and then you've got their profile for like ever. Um, so if you've got a load of players that you want to search and you've only got 10 credits a day, why don't you just use your 10 credits for a few days and just build up a little bit of a database? You can always refer back to it, the data updates throughout the season. Um, so you can follow a player in the Belgium league and, and see how they're doing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, at the moment, it's hard to know whether the tool is going to be successful from a Football Index perspective, but it certainly seems to be sort of reaffirming some of the players that I'm adding to my portfolio. There's um, a couple of individuals that have hit the ground running this year that would have recommended to that would have hit the ground running so who knows you know you never know and anything i do research a lot i do spend a lot of time exploring new players to add to my list um and i do a lot of research so anything that can help with the research i'm just you know i'll use and, and try out an unpaid plug by uh <laughs> by yourself chris a great man i'm, I'm good at the plugs by, by <laughs> you're good at the plugs yeah. you are you, you did my job for me with index gain it was great um any other business anything that you you haven't covered that you want to cover no i don't think so i think we've covered everything i think no um, more maths questions no not right now it's um far too late for for maths questions it really is (laughs) i did think about it actually while we were doing that bit of maths that obviously two percent of four million is eighty thousand, but there is also the spread so let's just say half of those are done via normal sell that's forty thousand pounds but then if you say that the average spread is like three and a half percent you're looking at uh, 110 grand divided by two 55 grand so you're looking at more like probably 95 100 grand made by fi right yeah yeah i I mean there's some real smart guys out there that that sort of really dig into this stuff and and on whether you know on twitter or or, or in slack and there's some really good debates out there so if if you're not on those platforms um, and you are interested in this kind of stuff then i'd recommend it but yeah some of it goes straight over my head and um, (laughs) then you know i'd rather just read the debate while i go and watch a video clip of some 17 year old um, playing football (laughs) clearly over my head as well uh chris it's been a, an absolute pleasure having you on man uh where can people find out more about you well i'm mainly on slack community via index gain um, that's where you'll find me the most i'm on twitter um at chris Askew fi but i don't post a lot on twitter but um occasionally you should you should post more people. yeah I'll, I'll see if I, I occasionally i've been replying a few to a few um accounts lately just sort of uh you know, saying, you know, some good stuff and things. So um, I'll, I'll see what I can do. There's so some <laughs> some old data that I used to produce and stuff that um, got some good shares before. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Well, you were great on the pod, man. Thank you so much for coming on. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. If you guys are commuting right now in the, the horrible heat, um, stay strong and I hope the podcast gets you through it. If you guys aren't commuting, doing whatever you're doing, uh, working, uh, tending to garden or someone else's garden you know pretending that you're working but actually listening to the show and uh, trying to hide it from your boss or you know tending to some horses or whatever it may be uh, then have a great pod listen and uh, yeah if you guys are enjoying the show please do subscribe leave a review uh, i do love reading them uh, and sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions there was quite a few and uh, we had to be a bit picky especially as we spent about 30 minutes speaking on the the first one thank you very much for listening everyone have a great day